Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. What's Wagner's rule of life number four? Nothing good happens outside a strip club at 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm sorry, I understand I might be like a dog with a bone on this, but this is just fundamentally wrong. It is an insult, but let's tee this up. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 414-799-1620. I'm sorry, I think this is absolutely ridiculous. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, Eric reports tonight, Bucks game. Bucks playing the Lakers. Now, it's been a down year for the Lakers, but when that game came out on the schedule, I'm sure a lot of people circled it and said, you know, we want to go down there, we want to get tickets, we want to pay premium prices because it's a chance to see Giannis, it's a chance to see LeBron James and what would be his only appearance in Milwaukee this year. And so what are the reports? Giannis isn't going to play because of an ankle injury. LeBron James is not going to play. Huh. That's... I, I mean, you understand, you know, the big picture is if you're hurt, you're hurt. And especially for the Bucks, as they hope to make a long run in the playoffs, last thing you want to do is risk further injury to your star player. But from a fan's perspective, it's got to be kind of disappointing because that's, that's it. Everybody was hoping for the star matchup and the two stars, they're not going to be playing. Bucks games are still fun to go to, but uh, got to be a level of disappointment when both of the stars that people would pay money to see, big money to see, neither one of them is going to be playing. All right, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. I sent out a link to this story. I um, I actually, I read this morning's Supreme Court case. I read it it's in its entirety, so you don't have to. But it is another classic example of how screwed up the Milwaukee County Board is and how the incompetence of county leadership and the county board continues to dog Milwaukee County. Now, let me take a trip in the time machine, because I understand that there's some of you who've been listening to this program for the last 20 years. And I also understand that there's people who are coming in new. Maybe you're new to the area and you hear us from time to time talk about this thing called the Milwaukee County pension scandal, which happened I don't know, 2002-ish or or so. And I understand that maybe there's some confusion because whenever we talk about some of the reasons why Milwaukee County doesn't have the money to do things, why it doesn't have the money to fix the domes, why it doesn't have the money to properly deal with the parks, we always talk about the Milwaukee County pension scandal. Now, let me make this very, very simple. At the time, the county executive was a guy named Tom Amett who passed away a couple years ago. Amett was a creature of was a creature of the the public sector. He was a supervisor and then he was the head of the board of supervisors and then he got elected as the county executive. You had the county board at the time who was constituted of well, I would say it would be fair to say not some of the brightest lights, but a bunch of political hacks. Not all of them, but many political hacks. Well, the county pension scandal came about because Amit, members of the county board, and some cronies around Amit came up with, I'm going to use the word scheme. Some people would say it was a plan. And the idea was what they were going to do was monkey with the, the pension system and men- monkey with the payouts. 
And the claim was always that what they were going to do would be revenue neutral. In essence, they would provide what they would call these backdrops, which would encourage people to perhaps retire early. And the idea is, yes, we'll pay some of these people more to retire early, um, but then we're going to get their salaries off the books. We'll hire younger people. This whole thing was pitched as being revenue neutral. That's a very simplified version of it. Well, it wasn't revenue neutral. What happened is, and they found this out very quickly, is that this change to the pension plan made a number of long-serving county employees rich beyond the dreams of avarice. And what you ended up seeing is long-serving and typically highly paid employees would be able to retire. And you've seen this out of the DA's office and out of the court, out of the DA's office in particular. People being able to retire get a cash payment of 700, 800, 900, a million dollars. All right. And still be able to collect a pension, 50, 60, 70, $80,000 a year. So it wasn't just, hey, take a big cash payment in exchange for your pension. The way this thing was structured was that you'd have, again, the long-serving county employees, particularly the ones that made a lot of money, they would retire eight, nine hundred thousand dollar cash payouts, sometimes more, and they would still be able to collect massive annual pension deals. Well, all right, once this happened, Members of the county board and the county executive, everybody pleaded ignorance. Oh, we were misled. We didn't see this coming. And that remembers that continues to be a a a, a source of discord because there's many of us. And for example, I started my career as a lawyer in the public sector. Okay, I worked for the U.S. Attorney's Office. My experience with government employees, and this is not a criticism, by the way. My experience with government employees is everybody knows exactly what their pension is going to be when they retire on a given date. It was kind of like the cottage industry. People would sit around tables in the lunchroom and they would say, well, okay, if I retire at 57, this is what I get. If I stick around till 58, this is what I get. People knew that exactly. So you will never, ever, ever convince me that the people who put together this scheme, plan, whatever, didn't understand what was going on. But still, a number of the principals said, well, we we were just deceived. We didn't get it. In which case, they were just incompetent. So it was either malfeasance or incompetence. But the bottom line is this pension scandal that results in all these unanticipated pension liabilities and enormous sums of money being paid out. And and don't, don't get me wrong. I don't fault the employees who are taking advantage of it. I mean, if I started working in the DA's office when I got out of law school instead of the U.S. Attorney's office and somebody passes a change in the pension laws so I can retire and walk away with a million dollars in cash and seventy or $80,000 a year in a pension, I, I'm not going to give it back. I mean, I, I'm just, I'm not going to do that. So I don't fault the employees for taking advantage of it, but this was, it was an absolute scandal. It resulted in the county executive stepping down because he was going to be, you know, recalled. It cost a number of supervisors their jobs, but there's still some of the people who gave us the Milwaukee County pension scandal, they're still on the county board to this day. The Milwaukee County Board has learned nothing, apparently, from the pension scandal. Supreme Court of the state of Wisconsin has just come out with a decision this morning. It is 42 pages. I have just read it, and again, so you don't have to. Let me summarize this. Here's what happened. After Act 10, 
went into effect in 2011. And Act 10 limited the collective bargaining rights of various employees. After Act 10 went into effect, the county board decided it wanted to kind of monkey around with its pension system. I'll tell you what happened in just a minute. Stick around. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. All right. So here's what the Milwaukee County Board tried to do. Here's what they did. And here's how much it is going to cost you. Milwaukee County, for retirement purposes, has something called the Rule of 75. What that means is you take um, you take your age plus your years of service. And when that number hits 75, those two put together, you can retire with full benefits. Now, this is a pretty sweet deal. For example, um, if if you started working for the county at 22, that means that you could retire at 59 and a half with full benefits. So because you'd work 37 and a half years and you're um, and you'd be able to to do that. So it's it's very, very it is a very, very attractive sort of offer because you, you end up, again, being able to add your age in with your years of service and it resulted in some people in certain eligible positions being able to retire extremely early all right after act 10 was put in place what the county board wanted to do is they wanted to codify this rule of 75 for non-union employees that's what they wanted to try to do they want to say okay for non-union employees this is what we are going to do they didn't want to extend this to unionized employees who had started after 1994. Long story short, when they drafted the language for this, they screwed up. So they covered not only the the non-unionized employees that they intended to cover, but they also covered all these unionized employees. And they didn't mean to do it. Now you can argue about whether they should have done it or not, that's not the point. They didn't mean to do it, but the way they drafted the rule and the way they drafted the legislation covered this whole group of people that they didn't intend to cover. So then once they find out about this, they say, oops, you know, this is going to cost the taxpayers, well, an extra like $6.8 million at least. And so then the county says, all right, well, well we don't want to pay it. <laughs> we, we understand what we did, but we don't want to pay it because we're already in just a world of hurt over this. So then they decide that they're not going to pay it. So it ends up going into court and it gets litigated. And today, the Supreme Court of the state of Wisconsin came down with a decision and it was written by a conservative joined in by a couple of the liberals. And the decision essentially says, well, Milwaukee County Board, we understand what you might have intended to do. But we're looking at the language of what you did. And laws matter and ordinances matter. And you guys screwed up. If you intended to exclude this group of union employees, you would have had the right to do it. But that's not how you wrote the law. So as a result, they're entitled to this money. And it's going to cost the taxpayers of Milwaukee County an additional $800,000 a year over the next Lord knows how many years that they're going to have to come up with and put in uh, again just for this screw up. 
which brings the, the fundamental question to mind, which is how long are those people who still live in Milwaukee County going to put up with this degree of incompetence. Now, I understand this goes back to the 2011 county board, so some of those people are still there, some of the people are gone. But it's another one of these examples where you have these people who apparently are making huge decisions with taxpayer money with no clue as to what it is that they are doing. And again, this isn't about the merits of, you know, should they have extended and codified this rule of 75 for some of the more newly hired union employees? That's not what it's about. They didn't mean to do it, and yet they did it because they didn't know better, and now, once again, the taxpayers are on the hook. I have been one of these arguing for a long time that Milwaukee County would be so much better if you just did away with the Milwaukee County Board, because clearly you have example after example after example, or you have these political hacks that are on the board who are clueless as to what is going on and what it is that they are doing. We would be so much better off if we went to an executive form of government where you had the county executive and maybe you had a board of two or three people that were responsible for running the county like a business because the way the Milwaukee County Milwaukee County has been run by the county board has been run into the ground financially. So whenever we talk about the domes, or improvements in the parks, or improvements at the zoo, or what they're going to do with the safety building that has to be leveled, or whenever people complain about, gee, I wish this was going on in the county, or I wish that was going on in the county, and we keep being told that there's no money to do these things. Well, a lot, not all, but a lot of that reason comes back to this pension scandal we were talking about, and the continued, again, either incompetence or or malfeasance of various additions of the county board that continues to make the situation worse. Now, I I look at this again, and you might say, well, okay, well, this is only $800,000 a year. All right, if you made an $800,000 screw-up in your place of employment, let's even forget about the tens of millions of dollars that the pension scandal's costing. You make an $800,000 screw-up, my guess is you're going to be walking out the door with your box of future endeavors pretty quick. In Milwaukee County, what do we do? We re-elect them. Um, I've got a link to the story in the Journal Sentinel. Uh, it's a 42-page state Supreme Court decision, which, by the way, I think is the right decision. But again, it shows how actions have consequences, and it shows what happens when you have people who are making decisions with other people's money without understanding the ramifications of what they are doing. This is Jeff Wagner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. If you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. I sent out another link. Marquette, Thursday, first round of the NCAA basketball tournament, is playing Murray State. And even though Marquette is the number five seed and Murray State is the number 12 seed, Marquette is getting absolutely no love. I just sent out a link with another story. If you're And, and the, the theme is pretty much universal. If you're looking for an upset in your brackets, if you're looking for a lock, if you're betting this, if you happen to be in a state where betting is legal, bet bet Murray State because Murray State, it, it's almost like they're saying, hey, it's, it's a given. They're a lock to beat Marquette. It's interesting. I mean, the, the point spread opened up somewhere between four and four and a half. As near as I can tell, it's about the same. I, I 
Marquette being favored, despite the fact that everybody seems to think that Murray State is going to win. I keep waiting for that number to drop. I was saying yesterday on the program, I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit hesitant. I mean, Marquette's not in the best of streaks, but you know, I'm one of these guys. I don't know if it's a contrarian, but sometimes I believe the likelihood of something happening increases in direct proportion to the number of people say that it can't happen. And everybody seems to say that, you know, Marquette can't beat this Murray State team, which is obviously a pretty good team. I don't know. The more I hear people say they can't do it, they can't do it, they can't do it, the more I keep thinking maybe they can, in fact, you know, come through like a number five seed. I'm going to have a couple days to think about that. But if if you want to see yet another um, national sports analysts saying, hey, if you're, if you're looking for a lock in your brackets, pick Murray State to upset Marquette. Um, you can check it out. It's, um, again, on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. All right, let me take another walk down memory lane. When I went to law school, and I am dating myself now, I went to Marquette University Law School, and I remember this. The first year I went to law school, tuition for law school, this is not undergraduate, tuition for law school was $3,200. People are rolling their eyes now. For $3,200, you, you can't do three weeks of undergraduate at a lot of schools. Um, the second year, it went up to around 4000 and the third year, it was like around 4500 But here's what I remember, and here's what was cool. At the time, you could qualify for student loans through the government. The student loans for graduate school, though, were capped at $5,000. Now, what was kind of cool was, I mean, I remember my freshman year, and I had gotten through college, and I worked for nine months before I went to school, but I took out one of these loans. So you could take, again, the first year, the tuition was around $3,200. And again, I know I'm dating myself. You got a $5,000 student loan. You could pay your full tuition. You could buy your books. And you had a bunch of extra money to, to live on. And it, it, it was it was good. Would I have liked perhaps to have borrowed more? Yeah, because it would have, again, made it easier for me to, to live on, things like that. But but the bottom line was it was capped. In retrospect, I'm glad the amount that I could borrow for graduate school was capped. Because when I went out, got out of school, again, admittedly a number of years ago, I had $15,000 in student loans, but I had my law degree. And you could have added that on. I didn't have to borrow money to go to undergraduate school. But I had $15,000 in student loans, and, and that was a manageable sort of amount that you could pay back in a reasonable period of time. Nowadays, two things have happened. When it comes to graduate school, so if you want to get your master's or you want to get a law degree or, or whatever, what's happened is the cost of graduate school has gone through the roof. My guess is at institutions like like Marquette, I don't know what Marquette's is, but like Marquette, if you wanted to go to, say, law school or business school, certainly law school, my guess is you're probably looking at in the neighbor of 40 grand or so a year. And, and it, it could easily be a lot more than that, depending on the school that you go to. Now, the way it works right now is that for undergraduate, Federal law caps how much undergraduates can borrow each year. Um, it, it really, the, the amount kind of varies, and it depends on whether you are a dependent on your on your on your parents or not. But if you're not dependent, for undergraduate, you can borrow up to twelve thousand five hundred dollars a year with a cap of fifty-seven grand. Right, so. 
undergraduate if you're independent. That is, you're not a dependent. You can't borrow more than $57,000 over your lifetime. So there is a cap. If you are dependent, that means, you know, you're claimed as a dependent on your tax return, the limit is $7,500 a year. So there are limits on undergraduates. So you make certain that these kids who come out of school, yeah, they can have debt, and they can have quite a bit of debt, I guess, but they're capped as to how much that they can owe. They're currently, unlike when I went to law school, Currently, there is no cap at all on how much you can borrow for graduate school. The way it works now is if you want to go to graduate school, you can borrow whatever amount is needed to cover your tuition and living costs through a combination of federal programs. And the thinking is we want to encourage people to go to graduate school, whatever graduate school they want to, that they can get into, and we don't want them to have to worry about cost. Okay, well, that, that's all well and good. But what happens in the real world is that there's a lot of people who go through college and they graduate from college and they don't know what they want to do with themselves. And they decide, you know what, I, I kind of like going to school and I think getting a law degree or getting an MBA or something like that would be a good thing. And so what I want to do is I want to get into law school and I'm going to continue to borrow money. And the federal government lets me borrow as much money as I want um, as long as as much money as I need for living expenses and for, for tuition. So you have people not you know, unrealistically, let's say, let's take the example of going to law school, who have their own student debt from undergraduate, and then what they do is they decide, well, I don't, I don't know if I want to do this or that, so here's what I'm going to do. I want to go to graduate school. I want to hang out in law school, so I'm going to borrow the money, and they borrow 50000 $100,000, and you get out of law school in three years, and let me tell you something. The market for lawyers now is not like the market was for lawyers when I got out of law school. It, it's it's just not. You have lots of firms that are downsizing, and I'm not saying the law isn't something that people should go should not go into, and I'm not saying that there's not an opportunity for some people to make a bunch of money coming out of law school if you get a job at a big firm. But the days of, gee, you know, pretty much everybody can kind of write their own ticket once they get out of school, that's that's over with. So you now have these people, in many cases, who let's, I'm using the example of law school, but it could be business school, could be anything. You get out of graduate school. You have now amassed an enormous amount of debt, maybe $100,000 for graduate school. And you find that for whatever reason, the job market isn't there. You can't get a job in your field or you can't get a job that pays what you thought you were going to get in your field. And now you're crippled by all this student debt, not just the undergrad, which would be bad, but the graduate school debt. Because, yeah, you've got the law degree, but all right, you're not able to do anything with it. All right. The Trump administration has been looking at this. And one of their proposals is what they need to do is they need to cap the amount of money that you can borrow for graduate school. 
Like I say, now there's caps on undergraduate, but there's no caps on graduate school. Now, one of the effects of no caps on graduate school has been um, schools have felt free to kind of increase their tuition as much as they want because they can always say, well, hey, you know, yeah, yes, we're charging you $50,000 a year, but it's no problem because you can go and you can borrow all this money. The Trump administration says we've got to rein this in. Because, yes, on the one hand, it's nice to allow students to go and and go to whatever graduate school they want. But at the same time, they're coming out with these crippling amount of debts. So the Trump administration is saying we've got to put caps on how much you can borrow from the government to go to graduate school. And predictably, a lot of people are saying, oh, no, that's wrong. You're going to deny people access to, you know, higher education. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think sometimes it is important for the government to save people from themselves. And the truth of the matter is, I've got nothing against going to graduate school, you know, law school, getting your MBA, whatever it is. But I think there needs to be limits on this. The idea that somebody says, well, I want to go to this particular school, I can get into the school, and here I'm going to borrow 100000 or 150000 to go to this school, and the government's going to give it to me, that is a recipe, in my opinion, for disaster. 414-799-1620, that's the accurate mortgage talk and text line. I don't know where the caps should be and, and what's fair, but the truth is maybe if you can't afford – for example, to go to a Harvard or a Yale, all right, without borrowing enormous amounts of money, maybe that means you scale it back and you go to Wisconsin, for example. 414-799-1620, is this that unfair? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. First text I get out of the box summarizes the problems people have with this. It says, so Jeff, so you think only rich kids should go on to get a higher education? Of course not. I'm just saying that right now for undergraduate students, we have caps on how much you can borrow in student loans. So, okay, maybe that means that you can't afford to go to Harvard if you can't get scholarships, so you go to UW. All right, you still come out and you get a fine education. We don't have caps for graduate schools now. So rather than saying, okay, I'm going to go to Georgetown and I'm going to come out $150,000 in debt into a brutal job market, so I'm crippled with this debt I probably can't repay. So you go to UW, you get a law degree, and you've spent a lot less money. That's all I'm saying. Let's start with Dave and Appleton. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff, uh, first-time caller, long-time listener. Thank you, sir. Uh, uh, this topic uh, hits close to my heart, but having put three uh, girls through school, <laughs> sure. one just recently uh, graduate school, one at Marquette, and I'm all for the caps, and here's why. Uh, when there's been unfettered access to funds, uh, universities and school systems have not been required to contain costs at yes. that level. And when they see the demand decrease, it might force them to look in the mirror about making their education more affordable and more valuable to the students that attend. So I don't think it has anything to do with restricting access to people who don't have the income. But we have, we're, we've created a pool, of, a generation of kids who are getting out of school with over a hundred to $200,000 that will not pay that off 
before they almost retire. And what's that going to do to the rest of the economy? So I welcome it big time. You know, it's interesting, Dave. Dave, while you were talking, I, I, I looked like one of those bobbleheads. My head is going up and down behind the microphone. Because you, you nailed it on the head. All, all these different schools, the colleges, the universities that offer graduate school programs, have had no incentive at all to try to roll in and rein in the cost because they just simply say, hey, you, you want to come to, you know, Jeff's Law School? No problem. You know, yes, yes, we've just raised our, our tuition another $3,000, but don't worry because, you know, you're going to be able to get a loan that takes care of it. You're not going to have to pay it off. You're not going to have to pay it off in the near future. And unfortunately, the kids say, well, this is the law school I want to go to or this is the MBA program I want to go to. They're not thinking about what the job market's going to look like three years down the road, or to your point, how long it's going to take somebody to pay off $150,000 in student loan debt. Well, exactly. And I just had this conversation with my daughter who wants to pursue her MBA, and I said, sweetheart, love you dearly, go pursue the education, but you, what's the viability of, what's the return on the investment? Mm-hmm. It's not about, in the password, be about the pursuit of truth. It has to be about, we have to pay for this. Right. It's, it's going to be you who are going to be responsible for it. So all I'm saying is pursue the education, but be responsible with your pursuit. Exactly. No, thanks for the call. And, and that's all this does. Nobody is saying, not Donald Trump, not me, nobody is arguing that there shouldn't be loans available for people who want to pursue graduate degrees. But if we put limits on how much you can borrow for undergraduate, why in the world don't we have similar limits for how much you can borrow again for the graduate schools? I mean, yes, and maybe it makes some tough choices. And yes, maybe it means some students aren't going to be able to go to the very most expensive schools, but they're still going to be able to get their degrees. Len- uh, Leonard in Milwaukee. Leonard, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. I am a little different in terms of how I think about this two points. One, I, as a senior in college, I had to go, I had to stop going to school and help my mother who got sick. So my senior year, I had to leave school. Ten years later, I went back to school at 35. And as of doing that, I ended up having college loans to pay over the, the, the course mm-hmm. of my life. I'm 60 now, still paying those off. Wow. That's one. <laughs> Two, I'm one for tapping the tuition. In particular, my, my format would be you tap the uh, tuition at the state schools, Oshkosh, Park, Parkland, mm-hmm. wherever, those schools, and then hopefully the Marquettes and whatever will catch up as well. Those costs for those schools, for those professors, are finite. Mm-hmm. We continue to pay them more, 85000 one year, a hundred thousand the next year, a hundred twenty thousand the next year. The costs and costs and costs of, of those schools continue to go up. Mm-hmm. So if you fi- if you give me a limit on how much I can go to graduate school, I may be able to go to two years, but because it's capped, I won't have enough money to finish that last year because I won't have the money to 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 loan or borrow. From. Well, I get. I mean, thanks to call, Leonard. Right? But I guess the the alternative would be maybe that means you go to a 
a less expensive graduate school that maybe that maybe that again means that hey I want to go to a state school instead of go and I'm, I'm not knocking Georgetown Georgetown's a great law school but if you can't afford something you you just you can't afford it it's not saying that you can't you know pursue a degree of higher education because I, I don't if you know in your case Leonard you're talking about you get out of school in your 30s because you went back as a you know a little bit later in life finish that up you're still paying student loans into your 60s well th- th- this is the new trend now where you have people like our first caller Dave was talking about you have people getting out of school a hundred a hundred and fifty two hundred thousand dollars in debt and and the truth is maybe decades ago you get out with a law degree and that's a license to print money that's not the case anymore a lot of kids coming out of law school can't even find jobs in the legal profession same thing is true of people with MBAs I'm just saying sometimes you need to protect people from themselves I'm not saying dry up student loans for graduate schools just if it's good enough for undergraduate why don't we have certain limits um, here's a text here, Jeff. My son has a law degree from Gonzaga and another degree from the University of Iowa. His school loans are more than his house payment. Yeah, that's the thing. And of course, the problem for a lot of young people, they, they come out of, I think sometimes they're rosy eyed. They don't really realize what the impact of the student loan debt is going to be. But then you get this crippling student loan debt. It limits your ability to buy houses. Maybe we'll talk about that at some point in time. It's just what you're doing is doing nothing but working if you're lucky enough to get a job in your chosen field, you're working to pay off the student loan debt. And of course, the schools, they don't care about that. The schools are, hey, come on, all we want is the tuition, take out the big loans, give us the money. And then, you know, once you graduate, three years later, you've got the law degree, and I don't mean to pick on lawyers, but you know, you've got Why, the law from degree. the NX right, they Management care. Studios they care at Historic Radio City, this is all the they Jeff Wagner Show. Got their money. And, and now, WTMJ's well, Jeff Wagner. If you can't buy a house, so very glad to have you with us if you live in southeastern wisconsin shopgo is probably not that big a deal um we we have many 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 big box retailers you've got targets you've got walmart you've got costco's you've got those things however outstate shopgo is or at least it was huge shopgo was started in 1962 on the west side of, of green bay it grew to have a huge Midwest presence and was viewed as an extremely successful store. As a matter of fact, there are many communities in Wisconsin where the, the ShopGo was it. There, there wasn't a Walmart. I mean, the ShopGo was the place where people went to do all their shopping. And importantly, ShopGo always um, concentrated on pharmacies. So in many, many communities, uh, there, especially some communities where there, there weren't local drug stores, you had ShopGo, and that's where everybody went to get their prescriptions filled and things of of the like. Well, all right, ShopGo, a few months ago, last uh, announced that they were going to be closing 250 stores, said they were going to be going into bankruptcy. And those 250 stores, that was about 70% of its locations. But what they said they want to do is they said, we want to restructure, and we will try to want to try to work out deals with our creditors, and we want to see if we can get an influx of new money in because we want to continue to operate our remaining 120 stores. Well, yesterday... About the time the show was starting, ShopGo came out and they announced that their efforts to restructure and continue as an ongoing company had had failed and that all the ShopGo stores 
were going to be closed by June. Prior to the bankruptcy, Shopco employed more than 15,000 people nationwide, including about 5,000 in Wisconsin. Um, you have a number of stores that at least they had hoped to continue to operate in the Green Bay area and in the Appleton area. Um, this now means, with this announcement, that you're going to have, well, the Journal Sentinel puts it, or actually the Green Bay Press-Gazette says, you know, this liquidation is going to leave big holes in two Green Bay area shopping malls, Bay Park Square in Ashwaubenon and East Town Mall in Green Bay. But... The other impact is in some of the smaller communities like Oconto and Sister Bay, there isn't another large retailer and there's not a pharmacy to take over prescriptions. So the Shopco closing, it's not just, well, okay, now you're going to have to find a Target or you're going to have to find a Walmart to go to. Now it's, hey, there's no pharmacies in Oconto. Now, you know, Sister Bay, you're going to have to drive outside of town to do that. Um, given the fact that you had such success and such growth from ShopGo, again, going back to the 60s, and that their model of, again, concentrating in either rural areas or urban but less urban than the big cities, now, I mean, it, it succeeded for, you know, the better part of 50-plus years, and now now it's failed, and now ShopGo is going the way of Boston Store, ShopGo is going the way of Kmart. It's going the way of Sears. And it, it appears that ShopGo is going to be gone, leaving huge vacancies in some of these malls by by June. Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the um, Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Again, in southeastern Wisconsin, ShopGo is not the presence that it is in other parts of the state. And this is undoubtedly, I think, a, a pretty big blow to the Green Bay area, to the Appleton area, and to some of the other communities within our listening area, but not the immediate metropolitan area, that have been served by ShopGo. Here's what I want to talk about. Was this inevitable? Is this just a byproduct of what's going on now with consumer tastes and the fact that people don't go to brick-and-mortar stores anymore and they go and they buy everything on the Internet? Was the demise of ShopGo inevitable, or was there something that they did wrong? 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. There are still large retailers who have, have been able to succeed. Not everybody is going the way of Boston Store or Sears or now Shopco. There's some things and some shopping store, some stores that have been able to, to make it and actually kind of expand. Was this demise inevitable? Did Shopco screw up? Or is this just what happens when you have the Internet taking away a chunk of your business? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We're back to talk about the demise of a Wisconsin institution, ShopGo, in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. We're back. So glad to have you with us. Christina in Hartford. Christina, you're first. Hello. Hi. Um, I used to work for Shopco back, uh, I don't know, in the early 1990s. And it was a great store back then. A lot of people used it. But I remember where, where, which Shopco did you work at? It was in Madison. Okay. And so there were a few of them. And I remember when Target came to town and we all kind of held our breath. But um, we were just fine for a couple of years. 
But I think what really um, did shop go under is they never evolved and changed what they did. You know, if you're any company, you need to kind of revamp yourself every mm-hmm. couple of years to keep up with what's going on. And Shopko, you go in their stores now and they're old and icky. I'm sorry, but I don't mean to be offensive, but they are. Mm. And it's like, what are you doing? You know, nobody, I don't even want to go into your store. So when you, know? you would go into Shopko in the last year or two, you, you'd say, oh, this is just like this is just like it was when I worked here in the 1990s. And that's not necessarily a good nostalgia. No, it's not i kept i you know it's mm-hmm. it's not it's old it's not up to date i mean the the they, they just didn't keep up with the times no not at all okay thanks to call 414-799-1620 that's the accurate mortgage talk and text line i mean i i just again if you're in in southeastern wisconsin i think it is impossible to understand what a big deal Shopko is to a lot of communities and, and what a presence that Shopko was for such a number of years. And again, you know, right before their bankruptcy, 5,000 employees in Wisconsin, um, over, uh, pushing 370 stores again nationwide, most in, in the Midwest. Something went badly wrong. And I'll be honest with you, I think it's too simplistic to simply say the internet. And, and I think she was on to something, Christina, because Look, the Internet clearly poses challenges to places. There's no doubt about it. It is a different world because of Internet shopping. No question about it. But at the same time, there are businesses that have been able to figure out how, in an Internet world, how they can continue to grow. Shopko wasn't one of them. Judy in Oshkosh. Judy, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Hi, Judy. Um, yeah, as Christina was just saying, um, she's right. They just never really evolved. So I'm in Oshkosh, and we have a shop called here, and uh, we also get up to Eagle River a lot, and they have a shop called there, which is very sad for Eagle River because that's the store. I mean, that's what's there. Um, but, yeah, they just when we go shopping here, they just uh, they always would have two, two shopping lines open. That's all they'd ever have. So then when you go to check out, you mm-hmm. always had to wait. And we still, my husband and I, we both, we go to Target, we go to Walmart, we go to Kohl's, you know, we go to all those places. And so it isn't it isn't the Internet. It's just when you would go there, it's like there was always some kind of inconvenience. Right, And, right. you know, you go to Target, if there's two people in line, they're opening up another checkout. Right. You know, there it's like, well, well, whatever, there's 15 people in two lines, that's what we've got. And it hasn't just been like that in the last couple of years. It's been like that, you know, for a while, ten years yeah. at least. So, well, yeah, I, I just think they just didn't, they just didn't, they weren't customer focused, and that's what people want. Well, so. I and, and I understand the, the frustrations with that. You know, in the it was it was a year ago. It was before Christmas, and my wife and I, she, we were going to some party or something. She wanted to go over to Boston store to pick up a blouse that she was going to wear, you know, for for whatever the party was. And mm-hmm. I can remember this is back, you know, before the Boston store closed. And to your point, you know, we we go in there and. And you you can't find anybody to help you. She finds this blouse, and then first of all you have to find a checkout line, and then you find right. the checkout line, and there's ten or twelve people in it, and there's nobody at other cash registers, and it's kind of like after a while I'm just trying to buy a blouse. You know, at some right. point in time it's yeah. like I don't intend to spend thirty minutes waiting in line to pay for the darn blouse. You got to be you got to have some degree of customer friendliness. Right. Yeah, yeah. that's exactly. Right. And it is unfortunate for small communities. You know, places like, you know, I, I have a sister in Reedsville, whatever, and that's their pharmacy. Um, yeah. So they now will have to drive to places like Manitowoc or, you know, get them in Appleton or whatever. So it's unfortunate from that standpoint. But, again, they just, they just unfortunately did not. 
It wasn't just the internet, is what you're saying. No, not at all. No, thanks to call. No, I appreciate it. 414 799 1620. Here's one of our texts Shopko's demise was more than Amazon or online. It was bad customer experience when you went in there. Stores were old, poorly merchandised, and help was hard to find. Stores need to find a way to stand apart from online. It starts with the customer experience. Look at Best Buy. They're growing in a big way in an Amazon world. Well, I mean, I'd lump lump the same thing into Target. I mean, we, I, I will from time to time. I'm not a shopper, but I'll I'll go and if you need sundries and stuff, you you go to Target. And I I mean Target seems to me to be thriving, at least a lot of the targets that I end up going to. But it's to you know the point that Judy was making. They're, they're well staffed. There's lots of different products. There's lots of choices. They get you in. They get you out quickly. If you can't find something, you can find somebody that'll tell you where it is. Shopgo, I don't think did that. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Sandy in Montello. Hi, Sandy. You're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. How are you? I am well, thank you. Um, where's your near, You have a shop go up there, don't you? Yeah, we do in yeah. Watoma. Right. And um, I was just telling the screener that that particular store could have done very well because there is no other store like it in the area. Yes. But that store in Watoma was a complete, total disaster. It was a dump. There was nothing. It was a glorified dollar store. Okay. And... <laughs> I mean, that you just could never find anything. Uh, the, the shelves were very scarce. And it got, again, if corporate Shopco would have looked at that particular store, uh, in, you know, they, they could have made something of it. And, they could and have cornered the market. This was where people correct. would have gone, but you had to have something that was going to attract people there. You had to be able to find correct. what you want and be able to get in and out. Hmm. Yes, absolutely. So, and so, there, I, I, and again, taking off the very first caller, there was nothing special about Shopco. There was nothing that really stood out about Shopco that made a person want to go in there. The quality of clothes were uh, below average, and um, everything else, there was no great deals or anything great about it. Right. So where will you do your shopping now? Where- well, I was never a Shopco Shopco, although I did use their optical. Right. I, I did go to their optical center more than once. Right. Um, I... I have to admit I'm an online shopper. No, nothing wrong with that. Yeah, but if I go into a store of that caliber, I would go into a Target. Yeah. Okay. No, thanks. No, you don't have to apologize. I mean, I I said this before. I'm 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 an online shopper. I mean, I buy lots of sundries and stuff online. You got Amazon Prime, and it's really easy to to do that. But I, I needed a shirt for St. Patrick's Day last weekend, so my wife and I we went to uh, we went to a Lands End Outlet store where you know I actually physically because I I needed the shirt right away, and and I ended up finding it. But I mean, I there's nothing wrong with that. But again, this is there has to be something special about stores that attract people and some businesses even in the internet world like we say they're they're doing it and the classic example is I mean the success that targets are having the success that coal stores are having and one of the things that i have noticed is target i think it constantly modernizes themselves you have the stores that get revamped at least some of the number of stores that i've gone to you know coles is always kind of fidgeting around with what their merchandise is and how they're going to do it i'm not a walmart shopper but uh, here i have a text jeff even walmart stores are nicer than shopco they were just not updated they were old looking 414799 one six twenty, Roger in Sheboygan. Roger, you're on WTMJ. Oh, here I am. I'm on. You're on. I, I, hi. <laughs> hi, Roger. Thank you. Yeah, I, I have 
One one big word, their nemesis, it's K-O-H-L-E-S. They know how to merchandise. They have their shelves full, even their aisles full. Right. And they have coupons. coupons okay, there's no E in there, uh, Roger, i got to correct you or else I'm going to get 50 emails. There's no E in Kohl's. It's K-O-H-L-S. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. I just have to say that because otherwise I, people are going to yell at me, okay? So, okay. okay I, you're talking Kohl's. I'm an artist, not a writer. <laughs> got Anyhow, it. Uh, yeah, Kohl's. And Kohl's every every year they come out with higher earnings and all that, and their stock is healthy. Shopko is so badly managed they had to borrow money to pay their dividends. Right. Well, yes, and that's a that's another thanks for that's another huge issue because there's questions about, you know, um, did they did they mess over the creditors in doing that? Let's talk to Rick in Wausau. Rick, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Oh, hi. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Okay, was this inevitable with Shopko the demise? Uh, in my opinion, yes. Uh, I used to be a vendor. We supplied Shopko, and and one of the problems that Shopko always has had is, is trying to after they got their initial start, and they started getting more and more competition with the the WalMarts and the Targets and and the Kmart's of the world moving into some of their areas was finding their identity. Mm-hmm. And at one time they tried to be like Kmart, but they right. they weren't Kmart. And then they tried to be like target and they weren't target and right. then their last efforts were to be like Kohl's. and the problem is if you wanted to go to Kohl's, you went to Kohl's. why would you go to why would you go to shopco they changed their colors they softened right. things up they tried to go more of uh, uh, uh high-end material uh they did the you know Kohl's has this this great philosophy of let's let's say it's 68 dollars but we're selling it for 35 right right uh, so you'd go into shopco and they were still selling Roundup, which Kohl's doesn't sell. And they got it at sixty-eight dollars for a pint for thirty-two dollars. But you know you can buy it at the hardware store for thirty-two dollars. Right. So, so why there? Yeah. Thanks to Colrick. I want to sneak in one more call. Uh, John in Sheboygan. John, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Uh, good afternoon. Thanks for having me on. Yes, sir. I'll thanks for calling. Real, I'll be real brief. Um, I was a loyal shopper at Shopco in Sheboygan. They had a beautiful store, well stocked. But I noticed when I went in there, there weren't very many customers. But the thing that angered me was I'm retired and I get my prescriptions through my insurance and they required that I go to Shopco. Mm-hmm. So for years I went to Shopco and got my prescriptions. Then I got a letter from my insurance company and Shopco saying I have to go to Walgreens. Well, Walgreens was two-thirds cheaper than my Shopco prescriptions and I have several prescriptions. So that kind of angered me. Okay. Um, so... All right, so the so I'm sorry, Walgreens is more expensive or less no, expensive? No, two thirds cheaper. Cheaper. All right. Cheaper. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. No, I mean, I was paying eighteen dollars for it, and when I got my first prescription from Walgreens, it was five dollars for the same pill. Huh. And I got my second prescription, and it was the same thing, but that was a more expensive one. Interesting. Now, thanks for calling. I, I just this is I, look. You never like to see businesses go downhill, and especially, you know, when you have a a Wisconsin-based business that employs thousands and thousands of people, I think there was more going on here, though, than just the Internet. I think that's what most people who shop at ShopCo on a regular basis believe as well. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 49 degrees at our studio, Radio City. I was talking to a couple people about Florida the other day, and I was just recounting how, remember that trip in January, what, about six weeks ago, I, I had uh, I, I got the flight out of Mitchell, it was the day that it was 20 degrees below air temperature, 50 below 
wind chill. Hard to believe that that was oh, less than two months ago. But 49 degrees outside now, spring is coming on. All right, if I were to give you any advice as a recovering lawyer, uh, one would have to do with with the occasion where maybe you get stopped by the police in a traffic stop. One of the things I always advise people is that it, being a jerk to the police officer who has stopped you is almost never a, a good strategy. Now, I, I understand you have constitutional rights and you can't be compelled to incriminate yourself, but at the same time, you know, when the officer comes up to the door and asks to see your driver's license, give the officer your driver's license. When the officer asks to see your insurance card, give him your insurance card. If they want to see your registration, show them the registration. It, it just, you know, being a jerk is almost never going to work to your benefit. Now, I'm not saying that you have to give up your Fifth Amendment rights and you have to admit that you were speeding or that you ran a red light or things like that. You have a right to remain silent in those situations. But, but again, being a jerk does not help you. Which brings me to a story. Um, this, this story comes out of Michigan, Taylor, Michigan, June of 2017, so almost two years ago. Here is the deal. There's a a local police officer. His name is Matthew Menard, and he sees this car go whizzing by speeding. He pulls the car over for speeding. It's driven by this woman named Deborah Cruz Goulas. He pulls it over for speeding. Goes up, he starts talking to her, finds out she doesn't have a record, etc., etc., and decides to cut her a break. So instead of giving her a ticket for speeding, which would be a moving violation and be points against your driver's license and mess you up with insurance, the officer decides to cut this woman a break, and he gives it, her a ticket for a lesser violation known as a non-moving violation. Don't don't know what it is, defective speedometer, maybe probably defective speedometer. That's what you get from time to time. But regardless, he, he gives her a ticket for a non-moving violation. He's cut her a break because if she gets the speeding ticket, that's going to be a bigger fine. It's going to screw with her insurance. Okay, so he's done her a favor, all right, proving that no good deed goes unpunished. As she drives away, Apparently, this is the way the court case describes it, apparently ungrateful for the reduction, she makes, this is how the court case describes it, an all-too-familiar gesture at the police officer with her hand and without four of her fingers showing. So in other words, she makes an obscene gesture at the police officer who has just pulled her over for speeding but given her a break because he issued her a citation for a non-moving thing. All right, so she makes the obscene gesture at the police officer. This does not make the police officer happy, at which point in time he turns on the bubble lights, he pulls her over again, and this time he changes the ticket to what she did in the first place, a moving violation. In other words, a speeding offense, which is a more um, serious violation. The woman says, wait a minute. You know, wait a minute. You had You had given me this non-moving violation and the only reason you decided to pull me over a second time and give me the more serious ticket is because i made an obscene gesture to to you um you know that's that obscene gesture should be constitutionally protected you shouldn't have a right to change your mind and pull me over a second time simply because i decided to flip you off 
you are violating my constitutional rights. I have a constitutional right to make an obscene gesture at you, police officer. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. And to the extent facts matter, I mean, she was pulled over right away. I mean, she started to pull away. She makes the obscene gesture at the police officer. She's pulled away with, she's pulled over again within 100 yards from where the initial stop occurred. There's no question that after she flipped the police officer off, he decided, I'm pulling her over and I'm going to change I'm going to change from the non-moving violation to the moving violation because she made the obscene gesture at me. She then creates a federal case. She says, my constitutional right to make an obscene gesture at the police officer has been violated. Ah, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Did, In your opinion, did the police officer do the wrong thing by pulling her over the second time and changing the ticket from... Again, the non-moving violation to the moving violation, the speeding ticket that he could have given her in the first place based on the fact that she flipped him off. 414-799-1620. All right. Did the police officer do anything wrong in your opinion? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, hold on. I'll tell you where I come down on this as well. It's 143. This is Jeff Wagner. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. We're back. Let's start with Karen and Franklin. Karen, good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Karen. You know, I, I agree that she has the right to flip him the bird if she wants, but she has to accept that there are consequences to her actions, and I don't see where the officer has infringed on her anything amendment rights. Mm-hmm. He wrote her a ticket for speeding, not which he did. And- her the bird. Right, which she did. I mean, she, she and there, there's yeah. no question she was speeding. Um, so your 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 position is, hey, hey, look, if you do something, you have the right to do it, but you have to understand there's going to be consequences for exercising that right. Exactly, and he again, he did not write her a ticket for flipping the bird. There's no such thing. So I don't see where he's in the wrong at all. Can you under? All right. Can you get the mindset of somebody who, who who's been stopped for speeding? You get a a lesser penalty. Can you understand the mindset of somebody who's going to do that to the police officer? I don't understand doing it to a police officer any time. Right. No matter what. No. No, she's, um, no, I don't know. <laughs> no, I got, right, th- thanks for calling. I mean, I guess it, it is, it's it's one of those situations where, again, if you have a, even if you have a right to do something, it doesn't make it the right thing to do. But all right, should, it was the officer in the wrong here. 414-799-1620. Let's uh, talk to Tom in Watertown. Tom, you're in WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hiya, Jeff. Hi, Tom. I, I don't think the officer should have been able to go back and uh, change his ticket. Okay. I wouldn't do this, but it's not against the law to flip off a cop because he's a public servant. Right. So, but I wouldn't do it, but I don't think he has the right to go and change what he already originally said that he was going to dismiss as the speeding ticket and gave her a different violation. Mm-hmm. So you think the thing is, um, it, it just comes down to, he had made the decision as to what he was going to do, and the fact that she makes the obscene gesture at him, or the vulgar gesture, whatever you want to call it, 
that shouldn't be a basis for letting him change his mind and give him the more serious one. That's right. Okay. Thanks for the call. 414-799-1620. I'll tell you how I analyze this and how the court analyzed it, but I'm just curious as to what you think should happen here. And, and by the way, again, free legal advice from a recovering attorney. I, I don't see how the <laughs> – from the perspective of somebody who gets stopped by the police, you know, I, I don't see how this is going to better your cause, regardless of how this turns out. I mean, my I've always told people, again, you just, just – just cooperate. And if it turns out the officer is wrong, yeah, it can always be sorted out later on. 414-799-1620. Fred in Beaver Dam. Fred, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, how are you today? Very well, thank you. Was the lady in the wrong for doing this? Did she deserve to get the more serious ticket? <laughs> I think there's a whole can of worms here. Yeah, I think she had every right to do what she did. You, you know, some people are jerks. You can be a jerk if you want. That's not against the law. Thank God. <laughs> you know, thank God it's not against the law to be a jerk, right? <laughs> and, you know, the, so basically what the ticket was for them is contempt of cop. Right, yeah. It's not against the law either. Right, exactly. Okay. So let me change yeah, let me just change let me change the, the fact the... well let me change the facts just a little bit for you. All right. Let's say instead of her doing this to the police officer, she's in court and uh, the the judge finds her 300 bucks or something like that and she doesn't like it and she does the same thing to the judge do you think the judge would have the right to um perhaps increase the fine or something well unfortunately i think the judge i guess does have the right mm-hmm. he's he has a right to maintain decorum in his courtroom right so he can find you in contempt of court for doing something like that if you do it to the judge. Right, but now, okay, thanks, Phil, but not, right, contempt of court, but not increasing the, the penalty on the charge. 414-799-1620, let's talk to Mickey in Illinois. Mickey, you're in WTMJ, hello. Hey, good afternoon, how are you? I am well, thank you. All right, did the lady have a right to do this? Was the cop wrong in pulling her over the second time? The lady had the right to do what she did. The cop was wrong for pulling her over and giving her the original ticket. That that just shows that he reacted at a gut emotional level when he's supposed to be maintaining the law. He right. should have pulled her over and given her a ticket for speeding. Uh, uh, well, no, no, not for speeding. The speeding one shows that this was him emotionally. He should have pulled her over and given her a ticket for not using a turn signal okay. or tail light out or not keeping control of the vehicle. Okay. Well, I mean, you're giving her a ticket for, for what she did. Okay, here's here's how this case was decided. And, and it, it gets a little bit tricky, but I, I thought it w- was interesting on this. When – and it, it all has to do not so much – with the obscene gesture, but kind of on a nuance of law. All right, what the what the court said is this. Court said the officer had the right to pull her over because she was speeding. He pulls her over. He has the right to give her any sort of ticket that he wants, has the right to give her the speeding ticket, has the right to give her a warning, has the right to give her the non-moving violation. Once he lets her go, though, once the transaction essentially is complete and she starts to drive off and then she flips him off, the court says at that point in time, he's let her go. He doesn't have a basis to stop her a second time. Now, if during the initial interaction 
you know, she had made an obscene gesture at him, and he had originally said, hey, I'm going to give you a warning, and just she makes an obscene gesture at him, and he changes his mind and says, I'm going to give you a speeding ticket because of whatever. I think that he would have been okay. The problem here was he let her go. He let her drive off. She hadn't committed another violation, and then he pulls her over again. And what the court says is, and I can understand we're getting a little bit in the weeds here, but the court says, all right, the fact that she made an obscene gesture at you, that's not a basis to pull her over. And, you know, you had let her go. She was driving away. The stop that was authorized by probable cause because, you know, she was speeding, that stop was over. So this is like, all right, you know, you decide, you, you're again, so she was leaving. Court says, no, this you don't have a basis to pull her over a second time. So court says, all right, you know, no, she her rights were, in fact, violated. And you know what? As much as it pains me to say this, I think it's probably the right decision. Now, I am not encouraging anybody going around and doing this to police officers or to anybody else, for that matter. And if you happen to see the headlines on this, because this is going to be all over the talk shows tonight, and, and you think that this gives you a right to, again, just willy-nilly, make obscene gestures at police officers, I would say be really careful here because this is a real fact-dependent case. And the fact was he let her go. The court says this just isn't a basis to stop her a second time. She hadn't committed a crime. If she had done this while she was stopped before he had actually given her the ticket or whatever, I think it would have had a different outcome. Bottom line, though, is... For goodness sakes, police officers have a tough job. Why in the world would you do this to cops or to anybody for that matter? This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. I'm sure it's going to be a good game tonight, but as I mentioned earlier, no Giannis, no LeBron take some of the star power away from the game. My guess is a lot of people, when that game first came out, said, oh, here we, we got to go buy tickets because we want to see LeBron James. We want to see Giannis, arguably two of the very best basketball players in the planet. Now it just turns out that neither one is going to be playing tonight. Go out and root on the Bucks, but just kind of disappointing that neither one is going to be playing. You understand it. If they're hurt, they're hurt. This, it, it, I'm always amazed at the things that the Internet does and, and tracks you on. A few weeks ago, we did a topic about about this this thing. It, it involved a, a clothing company, and you might remember it. And they were selling like these ski masks. It was a high end clothing company, and they were selling like these ski masks that had um, well red lips around the face mask, and the. the 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 ski masks were sold in black, and there was this huge outrage. Oh, is this blackface? Do these things need to be, you know, t- should we apologize? Do they need to be taken off the market? And I was talking a little bit about um, balaclavas. I don't know if you know what a balaclava is. Um, if you're involved in outdoor sports or something that you do, a balaclava is just, it's like a one-piece thing. You you pull it over your head, and it's it's kind of like a ski mask, but it's got this thing that you, you pull up. Instead of having the full mask, you kind of, like, pull it up so you you can, it's got an attachment like a flap, essentially. So anyways, uh, a balaclava. And we talked about this a few weeks ago. Well, just about 45 seconds ago, I was doing some research on the computer here, and on one of the websites I'm on, and, and before that topic, 
I had done some research. I, I pulled up. I wanted to look at balaclavas and things like that. And so I pulled stuff up. And this is a month ago. So I'm doing some research now. I was just looking at something on my computer screen. All of a sudden, I get these three ads for balaclavas that pop up. And, of course, the only reason I'm getting that is because somewhere somebody knows that a month ago or so I searched for a balaclava. And now I'm getting, hey, for thirteen ninety nine, I can buy one of these, you know, on, on eBay if I want. It's just, it is amazing how technology ends up tracking you down. All right, to that end, the way we consume stuff, particularly entertainment, has changed dramatically over the last several years. Now, when I was growing up back in the day, cable TV, like around here in southeastern Wisconsin, we didn't have cable TV. You know, if you wanted to watch TV, you had the major networks. You had ABC, you had NBC, you had CBS, you had the PBS station, and then you had a couple of the UHF channels. You had Channel 18 and 24, and I guess there was 36. And that, that, But that that's what you had. And I can remember when I went off to college, that's where I first got exposed to, hey, cable TV, because I was in a rural area and they had cable TV and you had this whole universe of, of, of options that were there. And there was this thing called ESPN and, and, and you could, during the NCAA basketball tournament, you, you could watch all the different games that were going on. And it opened up the world of cable TV to me. And I am, I mean, I'm a pop culture junkie. There's no secret about that. I, I love the different music streaming services, and I love spoken word radio, obviously, as I work in it, and I, I, I love TV and stuff like that. So I'm one of these people that I don't even want to acknowledge how much money I end up spending in a month on the different you know services that you end up having. Um, and I'm one of the, the people that has the traditional, what I'm going to call the, the pay TV model, the cable TV, the satellite TV, that traditional pay TV model. Now, that's not to say that I don't have streaming services as well. As a matter of fact, I, I love Netflix. And so I've got, you know, if I can't find anything on regular cable um, or the over-the-air channels, I will frequently switch to Netflix where I'll engage in binge-watching or, or whatever. I'm working uh, binge-watching. Our program director actually suggested the show on Netflix called Bloodlines, which is set in the Florida Keys. And it's it, it's sort of a dark sort of thing, which makes me wonder about his idea of entertainment. But I like it, too. So we're on the same wavelength. So I've, I've been kind of working my way through it. There's three years. I'm about three th- quarters of the way through the first season. So I, I have Netflix and I have the, the regular cable slash um, you know, cable slash dish type of, of thing. I bring this up because I am, I think, becoming increasingly rare there's a new study that is just out looking at you know how people consume entertainment. And here's what it says. For the first time ever, a higher percentage of households in the U.S. subscribe to a digital streaming service than to a traditional pay television model. Again, cable, satellite, etc., um, new study that's just out find that 69% of people that answered this study have at least one streaming video subscription compared with 65% who have a traditional pay TV subscription. The finding underscores the popularity of Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime as more and more people make the switch to those. Now, 
there's still a lot of people that are, are like me that have, have both. They say that 43% of U.S. consumers have subscriptions to both. That is one of the streaming services, Netflix, Hulu, whatever, and still your traditional satellite or cable provider. So that's about 43%, and I fall in that category. But for the first time ever, more people are subscribing, have cut the cord, and are subscribing to the streaming service than are getting either the cable or the satellite. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Have you made that decision? Have you cut the cord? And how is that working out? Or are you not ready to cut the cord? In my particular case, like I say, I've got both. I love I love the streaming service. I love Netflix, no question about it. And I use Netflix a lot. At the same time, I like all the different options that I have on, and, and I, I, I'm, a, I'm a Spectrum customer. Um, I, I like all the different options that I have through Spectrum. I like the access to live sports. I am not ready to cut the cord in favor of a streaming service, but I know a lot of people have. And for the first time, it seems like more people are now streaming than have the traditional pay TV model. What have you done? How is it working out for you? 414-799-1620. We discuss in a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. If you're just tuning in, um, new study, 69% of respondents have at least one streaming video subscription, Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime. 65% have traditional pay TV subscriptions. Have you cut the cord? And one of the texters makes a point saying, okay, maybe these numbers might be slightly uh, skewed because if you if you have Amazon Prime, which a lot of us have, you automatically get the, the Amazon Prime streaming service. So maybe that's kind of artificially inflating it. But I, I think there is definitely a trend towards cord cutting. Katie in Burlington. Hi, Katie. I don't know whether I should be proud of myself or embarrassed <laughs> to tell you this, but I actually just had to make a phone call today to uh, our trial period of our, we're at t if that's okay to say. Sure. Um, we had had the, the digital cable, and they our trial ended, they jacked up our rates. So I called and said, basically, if you want to keep me as a customer, you're going to have to help me. And they had a promo for the satellite, and we've never even had a satellite. Got a really good rate. Uh, we have to bundle because we have a landline, right. not only because I have a child, but we also have a fax. We run our business from home. Right. And um, I have made a conscious effort not to do any streaming services. I honestly wouldn't know even where to begin. I, I'm not an Amazon member. Um, I don't do Hulu. I don't do Netflix. I know what they are because I don't. I want to be able to say there's nothing on television. I don't <laughs> want to be tied. I have more than enough selection, more than enough appropriate um, you don't want to be sucked into watching the latest thing on Netflix, and next thing you know, 10 hours of your life is gone. Exactly. I just I want my family to be outside. I want us to be active. I don't want – we catch shows, and we always find something. They always want to sit down and watch and really interesting things. We have so much to choose from. There's nothing that I need to see that bad that I want to be a slave to my television, and that's just the way I feel. So I guess I am a dinosaur in that respect. Got it. Well, thanks. Well, but there, there's no. I mean, I, there's no right or wrong answer here. One of the things that intrigues me about this story, though, so much, Katie, is, is you really you see where the, the direction that things are, are going because 
it, it went from not really that long ago, okay, you have the over-air, the cha- over-the-air channels, and then everybody's flocking to the cable TV or the satellite dish or whatever, and now, you know, people at least moving, either moving away or using the streaming services as a complement to the satellite or the cable. Stan in Greenfield. Stan, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hello there. Hi, Stan. Um, yeah, I think a couple things. One, the young the young kids, I talk about millennials and everything, they're not going to put up with cable. They won't. They won't pay for it. They have uh, this, this program my son helped us put in is Plex, which is where you download any shows you want, right. anytime, anywhere, series, everything, but also Netflix and Amazon. I think if the cable companies are going to survive, I think down the road they're going to have to just offer an a la carte system. Right where you can where you can pick and choose, yeah. Yep. But, well, I mean, to, to your larger point, though, I mean, it, it, it everybody's the, the idea of of watching TV in your man cave. There, there's still an element of that, but now everybody's getting their entertainment on on their laptop computers or on their phones yeah. or whatever, well, and that's where you want you want it where you are. The other, the other thing is like uh, you know like like I have Spectrum too, and I get five ESPN stations just out of the shoot and I, I'll watch a backer game and a burger game but I'm paying for all of that right but I get, but I get one PBS station if I go over the air I get four of them right so you know I think that's why a la carte is going to be the thing of the future but I think the cable companies are going to suck everything they can out of us before they move to that yeah, you know, but thanks. For, and I will tell you, I mean, unlike what we were talking about in the last hour where you have, like, for example, Shopco, which I, I don't think ever adapted, you are you are seeing the cable companies that are adapting to the whole live streaming world. I, I'll give you an example. A couple weeks ago, we were in Key West, and it, Marquette, I'm a Marquette men's basketball fan, Marquette was playing, I don't know, it, it was a game from Milwaukee, but it, it wasn't it wasn't on any of the TVs that were at the bars, at the hotel. It wasn't available on the TV at, in our hotel room. And I guess could I have started walking up and down to Wall Street trying to find a bar that might have had it? Yes, but I didn't want to go through all that trouble. But because I'm a Spectrum customer, you have the Spectrum app. I'm on my laptop. And, yes, you know, you, you were able – ultimately you know to sign in and you were able to watch anything you wanted and so my wife and i watched the marquette basketball game in our hotel room on my laptop computer you know in key west so i think you know that i think everybody recognizes that the streaming is is the way to go the question is going to be are the streaming services going to be get to such a point that they offer the same convenience and options that the typical cable slash satellite providers do paul and cedar Paul, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Paul. Um, I ended up cutting the cable because I have a lot of TVs, like 14 of them. 14 and TVs? How many people in your house? Just two of us. I'm a sports fanatic. <laughs> <laughs> okay, par- pardon my French. What the hell do you do with two people with 14 TVs? You're making me feel good because I've got two people and... One, I, I've got one, two, three, four. I got five TVs with two people. Six, I'm sorry, I got six TVs with two people, and I think that's excessive. You got fourteen. Well, let's put it this way: when the, when there's four four games on on Thursday, I get to watch all of them. Okay, I got it. All right, fair. <laughs> you know, you're making me, Paul. Don't get me wrong. You're making me feel good because when when my wife shakes her head and says, "Why do we have all these different TVs?" I'm going to say, "No, Paul in Cedarburg, he's got 14. We're not even close to that, babe." <laughs> <laughs> well, what ended up happening is we had to pay for every box, and that just nickels and dimes me to death. Right. So I bought two 
eight slice antennas for the attic so I can run up to 16 TVs there. Right. And then and then I did I'm streaming Sling and I bought the blue and the blue and the orange package. Right. So I get my antenna, I get my Sling, and then I did Magic Jack for the phone. I right. bought high speed internet. I cut my bill from three hundred dollars to less than one twenty. And you've got all the the different things that you possibly want to watch. You don't feel you've lost any anything in the transition. I think I gained a few. Absolutely. Okay. How how at any given time, how many TVs are you going to be using? <laughs> uh, we probably have usually about four on at a time. Four on we at used a to time. have a lot of picture and picture TVs, but you can't run PIP anymore. Right. Right, right, right. You're, oh, those are my PIPs. Uh, Paul, you're you're my thanks. You're my hero, man. Just so you know, my you're, no, thanks. You're 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 my hero. No, thanks. Now, here's what we do at the Wagner household. We have there's a TV in our bedroom. There's one in the den. There's one in the living room. Yes, yes. The one in the living room is because I wanted it there. We had people when we were setting up the house that say you don't put TVs in the living rooms. They said no. I live in my living room. I want a TV there. So there's a TV there. And there's one upstairs in my office, there's one in the guest bedroom, and there's a little tiny one in the kitchen. So that's six for two people. Now, in my defense, only four of them are hooked up to cable boxes. The other, the other two, I've got that Roco thing. You know, you got the Roco that you put in there for 40 bucks or whatever. And because we have Spectrum, you can link onto the Spectrum app. So, um, so we've got a lot. I, but Paul makes me feel better. If he's got 14 for two people, I'm not even close to that. Bottom line is, I think what you're seeing is an evolution as to how people, again, watch TV. You're seeing this evolution as to how people, again, you know, we talk about our podcasts all the time. I see the numbers every month about all the people that listen to the podcast. And do I do I hope that you listen to this program noon until three every day? I sure do. And for those of you who do, I appreciate it. But I also know that there's lots and lots of people who subscribe to the podcast. You can do that by going to WTMJ.com or a mobile application thing. And, and every day. You know, we post a new version of the podcast that people can listen to, and I understand that there, there's that as well. Just like I want to watch the Marquette basketball game when I'm in Key West uh, on a Wednesday or Thursday night, this is the opportunity, you know, for people to, hey, you can, I can't listen to the radio show at one o'clock in the afternoon, but I can listen at eight o'clock at night. And it, that's what I think all the different media companies are struggling with to make sure that you have, or we have, as many options as we possibly can. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. Brewery Baseball coming up in less than a half hour. By the way, opening day a week from Thursday. It will be an opening day extravaganza like it always is on WTMJ. I will be in the dugout, my typical position, this year accompanied by Steve Scafidi um, from 9 until 12 Shortened edition of my own program from 12 to 12 to until 1230-ish. And then uh, we'll turn it over to the pregame and uh, the Brewers and the Cardinals. It is a week from Thursday. A lot of high expectations about this year's team. All right. Many of, I was going to say all of the women that I know, but that is probably an exaggeration. But many of the women I know, as long as we're talking about, you know, entertainment, pop culture, and things like that, love the Julia Roberts movie Pretty Woman. Pretty Woman is, of course, it's you. It seems like it's on almost all the time. It actually was made almost thirty years ago. It's a nineteen ninety movie. Uh, if you haven't seen Pretty Woman, and I think pretty much everybody has, the the basic plot line is Julia Roberts is a prostitute. 
She is a sex worker. She is a hooker. And she meets billionaire playboy Richard Gere. And the the movie details like their interactions over a, a week where, you know, he takes her back to her, his hotel room and then they cut this deal where she's going to be his she's going to accompany him to various things he's doing. He's trying to take over a company or something in Los Angeles for the week. And it the story is it's kind of like a My Fair Lady or a uh, on a Wednesday or Thursday night. This is the opportunity, you know, for people to, hey, you can I can't listen to the radio show at one o'clock in the afternoon, but I can listen at eight o'clock at night. And it, that's what I think all the different media companies are struggling with to make sure that you have or we have as many options as we possibly can. This is Jeff Wagner.